Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Christian Hunters of America podcast. We have Dan Bradford in studio today. We're going to be speaking with him. He recently created a new 501c3, and that name is going to be called Wildlife Waterworks. Many of you know Dan from uh, all of his water catchment repairs and water restoration and uh, hauling water all over northern Arizona. If you've ever hunted any of those units, then you owe him a thank you the next time you see him because a lot of those animals uh, may or may not be here or wouldn't have grown as big as they have had it not been for some of those catchments. And we all know how precious water is here in Arizona. Um, Most of the western states are experiencing a drought. It's not hard to see it every time you go to a lake, um, any body of water, whether it be man-made or natural. So with uh, all the catchments up north, and we have lots of other people that are involved in those, but Dan is instrumental in doing that. Um, His 501c3 Wildlife Waterworks, he recently created. Um, He's partnered with Christian Hunters of America and Arizona Mule Deer Organization. And we have both been helping him out with uh, some trailers jointly, and we've been getting some funds and donations, and we can all do our part in order to give back for conservation. Everybody knows that hunters are the biggest conservationists, whether uh, the anti-hunters agree or disagree, that's neither here nor there, but we are. Um, We're gonna be speaking to Dan, in studio today and as always please stay tuned for future episodes if you guys have any episodes that you would like to uh, suggest please reach out to us at info at christianhuntersofamerica.org everyone this is chet gray with christian hunters of america podcast we are coming to you live at the big Ornoski studio slash trophy room. <laughs> we have another in-person guest. We've been doing several that are uh, telephonic, and we love those because we're able to reach a lot more people, but there's nothing like sitting around enjoying all of uh, Mike's trophies and getting to see people's emotions and faces when they walk into this room. Um, like, again, we, we've always said we're very blessed to be able to have this podcast studio um, and at least the equipment to make his man cave into a studio temporarily. And uh, we got Dan Bradford here. He came all the way down from Northern Arizona. Um, As I said in the intro, Dan is well known for a lot of the water tank and catchment restoration as well as hauling. I'm sure you've seen his face if you've seen anyone uh, putting water back in a lot of those Northern Arizona units, sevens, eights, nine, and 10, um, he concentrates on quite a bit. He's donated and delivered a ton of water. I'd venture to say in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of gallons. And as always, we have Mike Ornoski here. How are you, Mike? We are doing good, feeling a little humbled. We're sitting here and he's looking at all my little spikes and two points that I'm so proud of, yeah, right. animals and it's a good thing, and that's what I love about hunting is it's in the eye of the beholder, and every animal is a cherished trophy um, for each of those harvests. So it's kind of cool to reflect on that. But with that, I'm excited to have Dan down here. Cannot believe he drove down from the, the beautiful weather of up north to experience this 95-degree weather that we're having already here early May. So pretty incredible. 
it's way too early and I'm not looking forward to the hundred degrees, but that's a perfect uh, segue into this um, because we are reaching those high temperatures already. We know that that doesn't help with the drought situation. Water evaporates a whole lot faster in these conditions. And unfortunately the elk and the deer and all the way down to ground squirrels and, and, and birds that all require that type of hydration um, will will benefit from all the water and habitat restoration that that water brings. So without further ado, how are you, Mr. Dan Bradford? I'm having a lovely day. And your illustrious self? <laughs> Better than we deserve. Better than we deserve. Um, without, you don't really need an introduction because I'm sure so many people have seen your face. Um, you guys recently started that new Facebook group that a lot of people are a part of. You want to touch base on that a little bit? Uh, the How many people ha have grown just on the aspect of wanting to donate and wanting to help the animals with this habitat restoration as well as uh, providing water? Well, I haven't really pushed the fundraiser button all that hard as of yet. I'm still working on getting uh, PayPal going and other avenues for uh, other avenues for receiving those funds. Uh, one thing that I'm learning really fast is that when you are the service tech and the uh, truck maintenance tech and the water fixer and the water hauler and the CEO and all of those things all at once, there's just a whole bunch of things that gotta come together all at once. And I've kind of been ignoring the fundraising part because there's so much work out there that needs to be done right this minute. And that's, um, we're trying to get other people more involved. Um, you guys have heard Terry Herndon on a previous podcast episode. He is the president of Arizona Meal Deer Organization. He has partnered with Dan. We have partnered with Dan. Um, we've shown you guys on some of our social media pictures, trying to raise money. A lot of the money that was just uh, acquired at Terry's banquet went that Mike Ornosky was able to uh, get funded through some of our dove hunts went straight to those water tanks. And correct me if I'm wrong, you just got a new, new to you, it may not be brand new, but a new to you tank that those funds were able to help purchase, correct? Yes. One of the reasons I came down today was that I had, a gentleman told me he had a water trailer for sale and I came and purchased it and and Mike's generous donation will uh, more than cover that and leave a little room for some diesel to boot. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. They, they think about just going and maybe getting water for less expensive, you know, from a hydrant, from game and fish um, as volunteers or, you know, all the way down to someone's house and filling it out of your hose if you had to. But they don't understand all the wear and tear that it does to the trailer and that it does to the equipment and that it does to a, a vehicle. These catchments, uh, whether man-made or not, aren't always in the most hospitable uh, areas. And in doing so, it, it beats up vehicles quite a bit. It beats up that equipment. If you, you got to get back there where the catchments are in order to fill them up. And it's not going to take a, a two-wheel drive truck, you know, a half-ton two-wheel drive truck to be able to hold 8,000 pounds just in water. A 500-gallon tank is 
8,000 pounds just in the water, much less the, the, the weight of the trailer and all the equipment that you bring. So you're looking at all these trailers being very heavy. The one you just got 750 gallons and you even have a thousand gallon tank or have used yes. a thousand gallon tank in the past, right? Well, I've got a F650 that I mounted a thousand gallon tank to the back and the trailer that uh, AMDO and Christian Hunters of America generously donated is usually attached to the back of that truck. So I'm usually hauling 2,000 at a throw when I'm driving myself. And it's just like I'm driving down roads delivering water that most people would barely take their Jeep or their side-by-side -side down. Uh, and it's, it's a challenge. You're absolutely right. It's a challenge, and there's sharp rocks everywhere. And it eats up tires. It beats you to death. It's, uh, it's got to be something that you want to do. It's not something that anybody's going to do. It's not something anybody's going to do for money. You're, you're not ever going to get rich. You're not going to get water rich hauling water. <laughs> and I just realized I said 8,000 pounds. That would only be for the 1,000-gallon trailer. 8,000 for 1,000 gallons, yep. The That's 500 it, pounds a gallon. would be 4,000. So my, uh, my apologies before we get any hate mail from my, for my, <laughs> from for your my mathematically inclined friends, yes. <laughs> but 4,000 gallons and it's unstable water sloshing back and forth with a heavy trailer, you know, dual axle trailer. Yes, it's not as heavy as a giant toy hauler, but you're not taking a giant toy hauler back to anywhere these water catchments are either. Generally not. Generally I mean, not. not if you want it to last. <laughs> and those, those toy haulers or trailers are 100,000. I don't think anyone wants to take it as far back as some of these places, but... Give a little bit of your background on how long you've been doing water catchment restoration, water catchment fixing, kind of that catch-all as well as the delivery of water to these places. Well, I started doing this work in July of 2012. So it's been a few years that I've been doing it. It's never been a full-time gig. It's always been a part-time thing. And... Uh, you're coming up on 10 years then. That's quite a while. Coming up on 10 years. I have never, perhaps I should at some point, add up how many gallons I actually delivered over that period of time. But it's been a lot of trips through. Don't have through, me do the math. Through bad <laughs> country. <laughs> and a lot of busted tires and a lot of busted springs and, and beat up vehicles. And, and you don't take new trucks on these adventures to begin with. So, you know, you want to take something that's got that's not in the greatest of conditions. So there's, there's failures there that happen from time to time just because you're driving a rig that's got two or 300,000 miles on it. Right. Uh, so there's all of those things taken together that feed into it. And when you get there, there's always, well, not always, but many times there's something else that's broke. You know, you gotta make some assessments about what needs repair, what needs this, what needs that. Uh, it's, it's not for everybody, it's, but it's, I just love it to bits. It's, it's a great deal of fun. And I'm sure you've seen a ton of wildlife impacted by those catchments being repaired and by the delivery of such water. That when you're coming in and it's dry and there's only so many volunteers from other organizations or there's only so many employees slash volunteers with Game and Fish that's able to do this job as well, there's never enough people, there's never enough water. We could always use it even in the monsoons. There's somewhere that's going to be in a drought. It's just we're in the desert. The monsoon always misses something. Right. I and mean, even once it starts raining, it's kind of a, 
kind of a guessing game where the clouds hit and where the clouds didn't. And uh, I was actually talking to one of my uh, game warden buddies a few days ago, and he pretty much said, you know, there was a time that I felt like that we could do it all, that we didn't need volunteers, that volunteers were, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was something on the order of the volunteers were just not something we wanted to, to have to deal with. But, you know, the, at the point things are at now with how dry it is at this point, with, with all of the other stuff that, that we're being asked to do, uh, there's no way we could do it all. We just we don't have time to to deal with everything. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for dealing with the water aspect. Yep, absolutely. And I think we can all kind of look at the drought we've been in. There's no question that, you know, being born and raised in Arizona, we're seeing a transformation of our state. I mean, just look at the fires. But I know just driving up north within the last month, I'm used to seeing green, lush fields of flowers. And it's kind of barren. It, it almost feels like early summer and there's been no spring. And and I think that's a testament that we don't have that rainfall and that moisture in the winter that basically allows all that greenery to grow up. And it's kind of weird to see how dead it looks. I know a lot of us drive up Sunset Point, and years past, if you're driving up I-17 to Sunset Point, that's normally solid green with all the flowers. It looks dead and desitant now, which is a testament of the drought and why we don't have water. It's why you're doing what you're doing. It's awful. It is. I, it's, there's only so many times that you can say, I've never seen it this bad before it kind of loses its, its uh, yep. before it loses its impact. Uh, but it just, it seems like year after year after year, it just continues to get worse. And the only reason, we're skating right now on water that fell last summer. Though there were several really powerful storms that filled dirt tanks all over the state. Uh, I recall driving past a government tank, and it was like watching a toilet bowl swirl. It was filling so hard and so fast. It was dry when I drove in. When I came out, it was filling. It was just filling right up. You could watch it go. Wow. So how many catchments are you normally dealing with on if you get your company ramped up and you get a little bit of help and have a, a stable supply of trailers that are operational, can you give a ballpark estimate of how much water and how many catchments you're going to be able to hit this summer? Um, I can probably use all the volunteers and all the rigs I can get. I'm, I'm just guessing, looking at conditions right now, because, I mean, nobody can forecast. I, they say that we're going to have a heavier-than-normal monsoon and that it's going to come in maybe a little late, but it's going to be, it's going to be more than normal. Yep. But, you know, you can't... You can guess at those things, but, but I can, we can use all the trucks and supplies and volunteers that we can get our hands on. Yeah, and I think that's kind of why you're done here today, right? Absolutely. Knowing that you're having that future need, you decided to purchase another tank to where if a volunteer calls and they say, hey, I got this weekend free, you have an, an extra tank that they can come hitch on and you can turn them loose. Oh, and there's, it isn't even so much turning loose. There's a lot of people that don't want to be in the woods by themselves. Yep. I mean, you have... I do it all the time. I'm yep. always out there by myself. I'm more comfortable by myself than I am when I've got a bunch of folks with me. Not that I don't like taking people out in the woods with me. That's not what I mean at all. But I, it's just Correct. I don't feel like I'm responsible for somebody else when, when I'm just out doing my thing. But there's a lot of people that really want to have someone there along, and they'll come help all day long and work hard, but they just, they just want that, that guiding hand a little yep, bit. exactly. 
And so, yeah, if you've got a couple of trucks and a couple of trailers and a couple of totes in the trucks and everybody's hauling 1,000 or 1,500 and you're hauling a couple of thousand out there on the lead, you're taking five or 6,000 gallons at a throw. So building that fleet of trailers, even though you don't use them every day, even though you don't use every truck every day, every tote every day, every whatever tool you have at your disposal every day, that's very important because there's a lot of people that want to come help, but I can't just give them a GPS coordinate of, of thus and such catchment out in the middle of nowhere yep. and expect that they're going to have a good experience. Exactly. It's true because, as we talked about, you may be filling up 30 miles away, and you may have eight miles of pavement, and the rest is on a maintained road. Then you're coming off a maintained road that's another road that's basically you know, subject to four-wheel drive and not Change without and, notice. Yeah. And <laughs> maybe at 30-degree angles or 40-degree angles and maybe going up and down, and basically then you're towing this heavy trailer, and you may be goosenecking. You know, you're going up, and that, that, that pitch point's coming over, and you're trying to pull that trailer over. I mean, I, I've, I've done it, and it's, it's interesting that you forget about then the overgrown brush and trees. And then once you get to the water, it's like, then how do you get that tank to the water to fill it up? You know, that's a whole other idea. A, thing a whole other list of questions. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I've been doing it for a long, long time so I can get there in my sleep without even really thinking about it. When I first started, I left my GPS running. I never turned it off because yep. I was always missing turns and always messing up and whatnot and so on. But at this point, a lot of things in nine I know where at and I can, I can find it without too much difficulty. That is exactly true because I know you were helping me a couple years back and I remember... Vaguely, you're like, take this dirt road, and you're going to see an, an extra large size boulder. Just go past that a little yonder, and you're going to turn left. <laughs> Once you turn left, make sure on the you'll kind of see a fork, but make sure you stay on the right side of the fork, not the left side of the fork, and keep going down. And you may see a rutted side of the road, but don't go on that rutted side of the road. Make sure you kind of just maintain on the side of the road. And of course, you're trying to rattle us down. And of course, it, I missed every one of those things. And it, but that's but that's how you know the backcountry. You doing. found enough of them, though. You did pretty good <laughs> that year, as I recall. And now I know where Mike learned to give directions when he tells me where to go because now he knows all these spots so well. He's telling them like you, and I'm like, <laughs> I have no idea where I'm going. What was funny is um, a couple of weeks ago we were on a mission up in the Navajo Reservation, you know, uh, giving back to them and. Some of the families, we were taking loads to them, you know, delivering uh, beds and food and clothes and things like that. And one lady's like, well, not sure you're going to be able to find our house, but you're going to take this dirt road, go to the first tire on the road, then you're going to take take a left, and make, then there'll be a second tire. Just follow the tires, and every time you see a tire, I keep hearing, I'm like, I got you. This is my, <laughs> you're talking my lingo. <laughs> that is 100% Mike's directions. It's awesome. I love it. Something I thought about just now, um, like what you were touching on, not wanting to take a brand new truck, right? You got a lot of miles on it. We got Arizona pinstriping. Now, any of the equipment, we, we talked a little bit about that new uh, trailer to you, the new 750-gallon water trailer, and it probably needs a little bit of refreshing. But on hoses and stuff, like does a fire department or other agencies that use that, uh, fire forest services, is there any availability to get like a fire hose is there or is that just a, a pipe dream or, or am i just uh i've got a few coming and I, and I know a few firefighters that that are watching for uh i don't know what the rules are i've never been a firefighter myself but i i know you can only use them for so many different times and so many years and all that time frame so all that stuff is great and absolutely if you're angling for trying to solicit donations of old beater trucks i'm 
I'm into it. <laughs> we love beater trucks with uh, decent leaf springs or that they can be replaced. But, I mean, we have a lot of outdoorsmen that, that work for government or city governments and whatnot. If, if there's any decommissioned um, fire hoses or, you know, any the 275-gallon totes that at least were food grade or at least didn't have anything in it that would be toxic to the right. animals once you fill it up with water. Right. As well as, you know, anyone can do their part. If you have 55-gallon barrels and you have a catchment in your area, we're highlighting Dan and all the services that he do he, he does right now and all the, the, the great work that he does. But just know that everybody can do their part no matter where you're at in this state or out of state. And a 55-gallon, you know, water barrel or, or anything that you can do to help bring water out to a, a catchment of some sort is going to help. And a lot of people do that. Right. A lot of people that have remote cabins in off-the-grid type areas, and every time they go out there, they take the pickup truck and they take a tote and they fill up their, their little home, home uh, wildlife water. And wildlife really depends on that more than, than you would think. It, it makes a bigger difference than a lot of people would give it credit for. And yep, and it's true. I'm going to go back to a couple of years ago, and I know, I know you filled up a, a drinker up in Unit 9, and and that's back when we used to be able to use trail cameras, and I was getting these trail cameras of these elk, and you could see that their necks, all you could see is the top of their backs, and their necks were all the way down on the bottom of these these drinkers trying to lick the little bit of water that was left, which was incredible, you know, to see these big old elk, basically they're basically laying on their front shoulders, basically, stretching all the way down trying to lick, and you could see them, you know, it was kind of depressing. It was really sad. Then, you know, we call you, and within a week, probably wasn't even a week, next thing you know, there's a picture of you pulling up. And, I mean, you're literally, I remember you came in, filled it up, and, I mean, it was within, I would say, 15 to 30 minutes max. I was getting pictures of elk coming in there just sucking down the water. Oh, yeah. And for the next day, it was just like a parade of elk. And I th if I remember correctly, it was within two weeks you were back filling that back up because that became their water source. And it's like all the elk told told all their brothers and sisters, hey, we got water, or they smelt the water. And all those elk basically drank all that water, and you had to come back and fill that up again, which is amazing That was a me. pretty little tank, though, as I recall. That was like Moki 1, mm -hmm. and it only holds a couple thousand gallons. Yep. And there's some of those other Forest Service catchments. Some people call them satellite waters. Uh, one of them in 7 West, where I live, that we repaired a quite a few years ago, only holds 1,800 gallons. But there was like, what, 50, 60 head of cows that just watered right there all summer long. Yeah. And I'm going out there every two days. If I'm not out there every two days with a load, it's going to be dry. Yep. And I think that's a part that a lot of our listeners and the general public don't understand. Yeah, we, we ran this water, we dumped it, and, hey, we're good for the next year. But that's not the reality no. when it's hot and dry and, and those animals are thirsty because they're in survival mode. Even some of those big 20-odd-thousand-gallon uh, triple tankers, I call them, because they've got three tanks under the apron, and there's some debate about how much water they hold, but uh, it's amazing how fast a good-sized herd will drain one of those things, and you got to go do it again before it, before it rains. And it's, those are meant and intended to catch enough water through the year that any critter that comes to it to get a drink can get a drink. And uh, they're not intended to have to be supplemented. Yep. But it's so bad that they've got to be supplemented multiple times between the last winter uh, storm 
on the first summer store. Yep, exactly. And I think that's why it's essential, you know, when we think about donating and get involved, sometimes you make a donation, you know, to, to like your organization now that, that you have your own 501c3, that even though we're not out there doing the work, we're making a donation that basically allows that to happen. So we're part of that piece of the puzzle because I'm thinking about your F3, you know, that monster truck, diesel. Is it diesel or gas? Diesel. Diesel. So I just filled up and it was a dollar five thirty nine a gallon. So you're probably getting what eight ten miles a gallon. Eight ten miles a gallon. Yeah. And you figured loaded down, and if you're doing 150 miles on that trip, and you're filling up each each direction, I mean that's a lot of money. I mean just thinking two about th- two or three hundred miles a day typically. Is, so if is you're three hundred, yeah. So you're talking thirty times five right there, 150 bucks a day just in diesel fuel. Yeah. Just to get from point A to point B to make sure there's water not including all the other expenses and time and effort. That's just to land that water to give those, those animals an opportunity. And I think that's one of those things that we got to think about is we make this donation, and even if it's a small donation, it's all going to that piece of the pie that allows that to happen. And we're not even talking about covering any cost of labor, and a lot of times we're volunteers and we're not being paid for it. It's just an act of, of who we are and why we do it. And I think what you've done, you know, restarting this, and I I know we've had the conversation that this is your life, this is what you're made for, and, and you believe in conservation of bringing water. Because if you're not doing it, there's very few organizations and people that are doing it on a full-time basis. I mean, we have some great organizations like a Arizona Mealer Organization that they do a bunch of catchments and they're hauling water and doing that, but it's that's a small percentage of what they overall do, like when they're dealing with the youth camps and all the other impacts that they're doing, where you are strictly about water for wildlife in that percentage of how you're going to be running that water. And I think that's a piece that we forget is I think you took your your life savings in order to make this happen with building the 51C3. You know, you're out there on your own dime. There's no one paying you. You're basically building up the resources. We've had some donations from CHA and AMDO to get the, get one of the trailers up there to get that going. But solely it's it's been you kind of kind of helped build this thing and to create it to, to keep that vision going, you know, because – I know I've heard you make the statement that if you're, if you're not doing it, you know, who's going to do it? Because we do get volunteers that may be on this weekend or that weekend, but like we just talked about, if it's not constantly we know what water's got to be done, those animals are going to suffer and we're going to have some major issues, especially if we don't have the water to protect those, then, then we come into calving season. I mean, that's the other part. We're getting ready to come into a very critical time, especially with the elk and the deer and everything else and the antelope and everything else that that uses those waters. And that's one thing that I've always found, like why in the world do elk have to pick the driest time of year to drop their calves? Yep. <laughs> it's, like, yep. it's the driest time of year, the worst time of year, there's the least feed that, I, I know I've talked to biologists and whatnot and they got all this explanation for it, but it's just like, when you're on the river, why is the wind always blowing in the direction that you're rowing down river? Mm-hmm. Why do the elk have to drop their calves at the driest time of year? Yep. It gives Always. you even more respect for those animals that they're able to survive a lot of those conditions. It's just, you know, we, we have a healthy respect for all of them to be able to live in the conditions that they live in year-round as an adult, much less how how appreciative it is to see, uh, you know, a cow raising her calves or a doe raising um, their fawns in these types of conditions. And... We could go down that other rabbit hole like we've we, we talk about the trail cam and how how important it is that we maintain that and we know that game and fish made the rule um that you can't use it for hunting but a lot of the people like you said that are living off grid or that have their 
their cabins, it's nice to be able to still see those even if you're not hunting that area. There's it, there's something about being able to, to looking at those pictures and seeing the animals thrive uh, because of a small pond in your backyard. And the opposite spectrum of that is, I know, I don't think you delivered down here in the Heber Overguard area, but the big topic nowadays is how how much of a negative impact those wild horses are in that area that, you know, escaped however many years ago when the wall of fire was that have now become feral horses and are overpopulating and destroying that native habitat and that native water life and the, the food system that the elk and a lot of the other animals depend on. And they've had not necessarily like time-lapse photos, but shown previous pictures pre-wallow fire, shortly thereafter, and current times. And the erosion from the, the hooves of these uh, horses coming through um, is devastating. And they're not native to that area. And they became feral after they escaped because of pastures and fences being burnt down. And we have a lot of people that, you know, love them and want to see them out there. I don't have the the right, you know, 100% idea. I have an idea and everybody else does on what we should do for them. But I do know that they're negatively impacting the water when a deer and an elk come to a catchment or to just a natural habitat for that water. And it's sucked dry because of a herd of horses have come through it has a huge impact on how well they thrive the rest of the year, whether they're going to have a successful pregnancy, whether the, how many are going to die. I mean, other states worry about winter kill. It seems like here we worry about, you know, drought, drought kill. Um, exactly. In the, in the Southwest at least. And even in the high country here in Arizona, that's significantly cooler weather. They still, you know, reach higher temperatures. And if there's no water in these catchments or no water in these natural occurring areas because the horses have either eroded the banks and it, you know, doesn't become as big of an area or they drink so much more than our native wildlife that it just gets depleted so much quicker. Do you have any, have you heard, what you know, from some of your cohorts or some of the people that you work with in this industry on how they feel about that on non-native wildlife and, and well, the water aspect we were out looking at some catchments last weekend and i can tell you that we saw about four bands of horses most of the mares had at least one colt i didn't see an elk on that whole trip not one and i would hate to see horses vanish from the landscape i i love the silly things i really mm -hmm. do but Arizona doesn't have fantastic habitat to begin with. We've been talking about drought and grass and feed and all that sort of thing. Uh, there isn't a lot there to eat to start with. Right. So if non-native species are consuming what little browse is there, uh, that can't possibly be helpful. And I'm not, I, I don't own horses and I don't know how much they need or require on a daily basis, but I know they drink a whole lot more than even a big mature elk. Um, some of them are twice the size of an elk body weight wise they're going to require a ton of water and as Mike just said in that story on on nine how fast it got depleted and how fast whether they smelt the you know 
the water in the air, they know to go and check these, or they communicated it somehow, no matter how they found out, you needed to go back in there and replenish it quickly within a week or two. And they drink a whole lot more than a deer, and it, you know, the trickle down effect because of based on size. I can't even imagine in those areas, um, out in the threes and the and the four, four A, four B, three A, three C, out there where the wall of fire impacted them, and where these wild horses now are. Um, it'd be interesting to hear from people that do the water catchments out there, or or from Game and Fish, since they have an extensive program um with employees and volunteers as well but i know that it can't help our native wildlife well and that's one thing that's one reason that i'm so fired up about water to tell you the truth you know i can't fix how many cattle are on the range i can't fix that i can't fix how many horses are wandering around out there i i can't i can't impact that maybe i can squawk about it maybe that'll have an impact at some point mm-hmm. maybe it won't but I can make sure that the waters are filled so that the critters that we got have an opportunity. Absolutely. There's tons of stuff I can't fix, but I can impact this. Circle of influence, circle of control, right? Can I, can, can I control the, the, all the other animals there? Can I control uh, you know, the legislature or the rules and the laws and all the politics? No, but... Can I influence it with some of these discussions? Can I influence it with some of these talks like this podcast? Can I at least invoke that conversation in people's minds for them to start thinking about it, whether they can do it, whether they want to donate, whether they have resources? It can, it, they can impact it in tenfold in various different forms. And that's what this is all about. It's to raise awareness, shed light on, on your group, and the company that you recently started and to bring awareness to the importance of that and all the, all the stuff that goes into it we not to not to beat a dead horse it's it's <laughs> so much that's not a pun either on what we were talking about earlier <laughs> uh, it, it's just the the trucks the equipment the gear the donations the time time is precious people want to spend time with their family uh you know, the last couple years has been crazy and it's thrown everybody out of whatever you want to call it, the, your normal, and jobs have changed and, and whatnot. So it's just different. And it's impacted everybody uh, a little bit different depending on where you live, depending on what your job was to begin with. But time is precious. Uh, volunteers are hard to come by. I think every outdoor organization and probably every organization that relies on volunteers has been impacted by that, that there's just not enough people to go around. And luckily, it is your passion to go out there and help all these animals. And uh, like you said, you're not going to get rich donating water. No, no. It, it'll, make, it'll make a billionaire a millionaire, and it'll make a millionaire uh, a blue-collar worker <laughs> <laughs> just because of how, how expensive it is. Um, but just like you said, I mean, everybody that hears about what we're doing wants to come help. Right. Everybody wants to come help. But it's a lot of miles up there for city folk, Phoenix people, Tucson people, so on and so on. Um, I told a guy just this last weekend, don't come up. I know you want to come up, but don't. Because it's a long ways, and you're only going to be able to work for a few hours 
I'd love to have you. I'd love to see you. I'd love to talk to you. But it's a lot of money to get from where you are to where I am. Right. But I'm there. I'm right in the middle of it. And everybody that sees it wants to help, but not everybody has the bucks or the time or whatever to to get there. And there's all these demands, as you're saying, church and school and kids and work and, and everything else. And you get a few minutes to yourself and you want to sit down and make a bowl of popcorn and watch a movie. It's, That's the brass tacks. That's what it comes to. Absolutely. And I, I don't fault people for that. Right. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to be your emissary in this matter and come up when you, when you can. Right. Uh, and if you have, I, when I tell people that I do this stuff every day, they, I don't think they get it. I don't think, when they say, you know, what day are you going to be out there next? I want to come out and help. And I tell them, you tell me what day you have time. You tell me what day you have time, and it'll be an honor to go out and take you and show you some of this stuff. They don't grab onto the fact that I am literally working on this stuff, maybe not quite seven days a week, but close. And if you want to come help, you get a hold of me, and we will go do some cool stuff for wildlife when you have time on right. your schedule. It kind of makes me think, Do you, have you partnered, or does any hardware store or plumbing store – do you have any connections with them in order to get some of the equipment, floats and valves and plumbing, um, or do you have to buy all that stuff yourself as well? So far, uh, I I just bought a dozen, half a dozen uh, float valves the other day. But I am learning about Amazon, though. <laughs> exactly. Figuring out Amazon. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. The They'll deliver place. anywhere. <laughs> yes, and they will deliver anything anywhere. <laughs> Absolutely. You can, you can get anything delivered anywhere, yeah. But if any hardware stores want to partner with me, any plumbing stores, anybody wants to, you know, give me some great deals on stuff, that would be super cool. I mean, it just a lot of the Ace Hardwares I think of um, are mom, pa. They're, they're family-chained or personally owned. If anyone listening, you know, has any connections – and even Home Depot or Lowe's or any independent plumbing company, if anyone listening would love to help, please reach out to Dan or to us, and and we'll we'll make that connection because PVC pipe, everything, anyone that is going out and eating right now or going out and spending any money or purchasing anything knows how much this inflation has hit everybody. I just bought a 300-foot roll of one-inch poly pipe. It cost me 300 bucks for a 300-foot roll. The last one I bought just a couple of years ago was a hundred and a few dollars. Wow. Incredible. Triple everything. the price. Double, triple, quadruple, everything. And a lot of stuff's on back order or you can't the even supply buy chain. You can't even buy it. Right. So float valves, ball valves, gate valves, PVC piping, um, <clears throat> any of that kind of stuff, manpower, if you have outdoor mindset or just enjoy recreating and can give a day or maybe like a team building exercise, we have some of that uh, coming up in the future. And CHA always tries to, to coordinate some of those volunteer days for trash pickup or for water catchment re restoration or just to donate water. But reach out and take it upon yourself to be able to help. Um, if you have any any inkling of whatever you can do, even if you think it's the smallest, every little bit counts. 
every little donation counts because like you said all those little nuts and bolts cost the the you know every little piece of the pie like mike said equates to getting water out there for them absolutely absolutely every teeny little bit anything uh so let's um so, so our listeners and everybody fully understands i think i really didn't have a concept i thought i had a concept of what it means to drive a trailer down a road you know first go load it up drive miles and miles and miles drop that load then turn around and do it again tell us about a, a typical day of what that looks like just so that our listeners kind of fully understand what you wake up in the morning and then you're going to pick these number drinkers what does that look like for a 10 12 hour day when you go out there and you start and you to give us like a typical day of what it looks like so like maybe in the last week or two weeks where you went out day in the life of dan bradford (laughs) yeah exactly i mean tell us about what does it mean that these volunteers want to come and be part of it or what you do day in and day out basically what you're doing to impact wildlife and to expand on that i'm just thinking when i did it i remember i got home and i spent a couple hundred bucks on that weekend i mean it was time they did the gas and a meal and just all the incidentals i mean 200 bucks is I mean, it's like almost like a blink of an eye you don't even think about it anymore it's, we used to joke that we go to costco it was a hundred dollar club and now it's the 500 dollar club and now it's like i go up north and <laughs> it's a 200 dollar club it's just it's, it's crazy how the dollar well we all know it's inflation you know we hear about it everywhere but then when i was it kind of dawned on me i was like okay it cost me 200 bucks and we went filled up three drinkers and we did all this work then then you know i love trail cameras at the time and and I get all these pictures, and then I'm like, man, I got, you know, 60, 80 elk coming in there. There's, I got mule deer. I got coos deer coming in. I got turkeys. I got all these birds, all these different types of birds. I got squirrels. I got chipmunks. There's bears. There's lions. And there's bees. And then I started thinking, man, if just that one day, if I just took all those different, you know, God-given creatures that he made, there was probably 500 different, cre- cre- you know, those different critters and if I added every one of those up, it's easily to be a 500 of them, I would say. You know, if I started adding up those big flocks coming in and and all the deer and everything else, and you start compounding, you're like, man. Over 500 course, different species or 500? 500, 500 like, total. Total, total animals. People, yeah, doing the drink and things like that. Just gotcha. Oh, easily. Yeah, easy, easy. easy. Like in a day, if you start adding up all the different animals that you use that, I mean, just constantly because. Big time. You know, especially when I was back in the day, I'd. Didn't really understand how to use trail cameras. And of course, I had it, you know, picture like, you know, five pictures every minute. So you're capturing all of it and you start looking like, oh my gosh, there's tons of animals, especially when you get a herd of 40, 50 elk that come in and, yes. and there's different groups. But then I started doing the math. I'm like, man, I spent 200 bucks, but we had, you know, so say I had 200 different animals come in. So basically, that cost me a dollar an animal for that day to, to impact them. And it's like, man, that's really pretty cheap to help as those animals survive. You know, when you put like a dollar figure, based on the impact. I mean, even from like the bees, think about what the bees do for all of us, you know, and, and not going to have any produce without yeah. pollination. And, and just think no, about sir. when we're up North and it's dry and we have water around our camps and those bees swarm us. I mean, it's crazy how those bees are looking for that water. And it's kind of the same thing with catchments. You've probably seen it more than anybody else. You walk and up birds. and the whole thing is full. Yeah. And birds and all the different birds. So, but anyways, I just thought I'd do a little sidetrack on that. So when you're doing a typical day and you're impacting these hundreds and hundreds of critters that are using this water. What's a day in, in Dan's life look like? Well, everything builds on itself. Like uh, the other day going out with, with Garth, uh, and he showed me some waters that I didn't know was there. Uh, one thing, it doesn't matter how much you know and how many catchments you know where are, there's always one more that you don't know. 
Right. And he showed me a couple of places that I've never been before. Right. And the one, he's been trying to get time to come up and, and show this thing to me for some while. And so we went and looked at it. It's like, it's amazing how little work it's going to take to get this thing back online and, and providing water for wildlife. So, okay, I got two more catchments I can work on that, that I know where are and that's going uh, to make a difference. And I'm planning fully on next week going out and hauling a few thousand gallons and, and I'll post some pictures when I, when I get done with it. But uh, one thing that I didn't really appreciate about the whole small business aspect even though I had watched other people do it, uh, there's a lot to be done. There's a lot more to it than just pouring water in a catchment at this point. I'm not just strictly the laborer. I'm not the, the, the toiler, the guy that's, that's doing the work in the field. So there's just gobs of other things that, that have to be seen to that distract from the work that I would prefer to do. Uh, but that all has to be dealt with in order to, to do the stuff that I love. Right. And yeah. If you want to haul water, you're getting up as early as you can get up to go and loading up everything and heading for the catchment, heading for the, the so stand five. So 5 a.m. So let's say, you, so is that a typical day, 5 a.m.? Something like that. And okay. it usually takes a little while to get a little breakfast put together and get out the door and get the standpipe 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning. It's, it's, any place is, is a long time to get to. Yep. I went from my house to Tucson. Uh, driving up there to pick up water either in Valley or Tucson and then driving out to the to wherever the catchment is so, from there. So you're driving roughly 60 miles from your home to get to the place that you're going to... go to, pick up water. To pick up water. Then you got to wait for the water. So then you're going to either... You're buying water right at those places. So you're, you're pulling money out of your pocket, paying money for either 1,000 gallons or 1,500 gallons, whatever that you have on top of your truck and the trailer, filling that up based on... Where they charge three to five cents a gallon I or whatever. I do have access in Valley to an account that's in Game and Fish's name. Oh, fantastic. Okay. And I have a couple other places that I can go and get water that's been donated. Fantastic. Okay. But normally, so occasionally I do I do have to pay. But uh, yeah, sometimes. I know a lot of people do pay, so that's why because I've been there and we had to pay and we had to wait twenty minutes for the water to dump and everything else. And it that's takes a, that's forever a, and you're just sitting there, there's nothing you can accomplish other than just Sit and wait. You're basically wait, wait for that machine to dump all that water. Then it might be 20 minutes. Or, or as we know, there's a lot of people that haul water for their home. So you may be number three in line. So now you're waiting an extra hour for those other individuals exactly to get so. their water. Okay, so I just want to kind of walk through that day what all the time investment. So then you finally get your water. You head out in your heavy lumbering truck to wherever you're going to go, and that's usually another 50 miles or so. Okay. And, and how much of that is dirt road? A third to half. So a third to half, you're on a dirt road with a fully loaded truck with all that water. Okay. Bangity rattly, bangity rattly, squeak, squawk, squawk, squeak, squeak, squawk. Yeah, it's 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 a riot. So it's not like you can be doing 50 miles an hour down these roads. You're, you're no. going slow and easy and just basically crawling through the Slow and easy, waddling as you go. Yes, yep. the whole thing just rocking back and forth and you get to where you're going. And even there, you got to set up your hoses. You got to get the pump running. You got to do this. You got to do that. Get the water flowing, and it takes another 15, 20 minutes, half an hour to offload or more. Uh, and then you got to head back to the standpipe and pick up. So then we load. Well, well before that, then you got to roll all your stuff up, all your hoses back up. Reorganize. I'm lazy. Okay, so you're a little lazy. Okay, I'm lazy. I like to go to one catchment and 
drop as many loads as I can in one place. So you just leave and all your stuff there. go somewhere else the next day, yeah. So, so you just, just leave all your stuff there, there then, then basically you're driving that 50 miles back to go and wait in line to get more water. To go to wait in line to get another load. And if you're really, really lucky, you might get three loads in a, in a long, hard 12 or 15-hour day. Wow. 6,000 gallons. Maybe eight if it's really... Some of the ones that are really close that don't have a lot of dirt roads you got to go, you can maybe get eight. I've even gone as far as 10,000 a day. Well, I've gone further than that, but that was when I had access to other water that was, that was less effort to get. Just sort of think about the 8,000 gallons. That's, that's incredible when you think about... 300 moving. miles driven. 300 miles driven, 15 hours spent, and six to 8,000 gallons. So then when you walk, when you leave that drinker at 8,000 gallons, what's the mindset based on the drought conditions that you got to go back and check that one? Are you pretty, pretty sure that one's going to last you through the season, or you think that that may get you another four to six weeks and you got to go back and check it? Because, again, you're having to check these or you're being called by the WM, the wildlife manager for that unit, or somebody else is saying, hey, this thing is low, and then you have to go back and check it. So, so on top of running the loads – you're actually spot checking other drinkers during that time, also, right? I Verifying. do. So I mean, but that's the, part the of WMs do most of that work. They do a lot of that at for this you? point. And uh, there's been some other modernizations of how records are kept and all that sort of thing. So that there's some access to uh, that information by other people that are doing the yep. work. Yep. And you extrapolate that to like what Mike said, ballpark estimate of 500 animals from the smallest ant and bee all the way up to an elk impacted on that one tank. And you're talking about 8,000 gallons and how long that lasts, whether it's uh, weeks or months, and how many animals are affected by that. Well, they say, I've heard various estimates of how much an elk will guzzle in a day, anywhere from five to 15. And just like you were saying just a moment ago, not only does heat impact how much evaporation loss you have, just like us, when it's 100 degrees out in some of the hotter, more deserty parts of, the, of elk habitat, uh, when it gets up in the 90s and 100s, they suck down a lot more water at that point than they do when it's freezing and below. Absolutely. So there's, there's a lot more effort involved in keeping them watered in June than there is in January. 100%. 100%. So the other part is we know that Game and Fish manages a lot of these. They kind of keep a, a, a tab on them and then contacting you to in order to, you know, go get the water. They got, got the account set up for you, so now you have access to get water. But it, the other side of it is there's also grants that Game and Fish does, and we, I get those pop-ups on Facebook and Instagram, you know, donate to water. Then they use that money to give grants to impact. And and so I guess the bigger picture for me is, is also being part of CHA then talking to AMDO, and I've talked to a few other organizations that, you know, there's ways that we can apply for these grants through Game and Fish, and they basically earmark funds that are specific for the water hauling and things like that. And and I do know that, you know, I can already see that they're already utilizing you to basically be doing that. And now that you're a 501c3, I think that the next steps and the hope is to help supplement with all the donations is also gaining some of those grants that are earmarked specifically for water. So, and I, I do believe that would be one of your next steps here in the near future, hopefully start applying for some of those grants on top of the donation that you're getting to be able to supplement some of that stuff. I sincerely hope to have some access to some of that, uh, what's the word, HPC, Habitat Partnership. Yep. It's the, uh, the commissioner's tags yep. that get auctioned off, and that all goes into one big fund, and uh, that gets 
distributed to uh, grant applicants. Uh, I'm a little bit unclear as to the mechanism that is utilized there, yep, but I'm 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 talking to people that know how to do it. Yeah, exactly, and I think that's part of it too. Is you know, for a general, I mean, I'm still being educated. And I think the general public doesn't understand is we have all these great auction tags. I mean, we see that these bull tags go for two hundred fifty thousand dollars a mule tier tag. You know. 200 grand and you got you know maybe a your tag for 50 grand so all these buffalo tag for 40 grand so all that money gets pulled into this big pot then there's a, a group of select people that's part of game and fish and i think there's some nonprofit organizations or they got a team that's basically been appointed to manage the day by day that's going to earmark those funds that will go to different grants and i guess as a nonprofit organization that's open to all nonprofits in order to obtain that money in the name of conservation. I think that's the piece that then Game and Fish will earmark that money if you're gonna do this conservation or, or that conservation effort. And so what we do know is that through the water and hauling the water, since Game and Fish wildlife managers are highly involved in it, they're managing it, they're making phone calls to the different nonprofits and individuals like Dan saying, hey, we need to get these things filled up, is there's actually money to be utilized there. And, and the hope would be is that, you know, the, all that money is being equally distributed and these different organizations, like with you being a brand new 51C3 and, and with the track record, that some of those funds would open up to even expand even more on some of it. Because I know now a lot of it is just based on donations of individuals and different organizations kind of supporting that. So I think that's one of your visions, correct? I'm hoping that that'll be the case, yeah, that, that I can have access to some of that uh, habitat, habitat money as time goes forward. But... Again, it's something that I, I haven't really delved into, although I've been talking to some of my friends at Game and Fish about how to accomplish that. Yeah, which is a good thing because they're the ones that control it, and they're the ones that are basically those WMs know their units. They know where those critical waters are. And, and in my opinion, the more organizations, the more individuals that we got doing that, it's, it's, it's really about wildlife, you know. And it really shouldn't be about this organization or that organization or this person doing it. It really should be as a group of sportsmen that we support wildlife and we come and do this together without, you know, fear that who's going to get credit. And I can tell you the years that I've known you, it was never about what Dan Bradford does. It's always about, oh, I love doing this because it impacts wildlife and it's making a difference. And by doing that, I know that I'm leaving that land and those animals better than it was before I got there. You know, and that, to me, that's huge. Well, and I've, I've even said that to my WM friends. It's like, I'm not into, to, I don't put me in for any of this stuff. I, I, I'm, I don't want any awards or plaques or none of that kind of thing. Truly, I really don't. Uh, I just want to do the work. If I can find enough money to keep doing the work, I'm going to keep doing it until they haul me out by the handles. Uh, yep. That's all I need, though, because I, I can't spend every last dollar that I've got. I've got to save a little bit for something. Yep, exactly. And you're doing what your dream is and what your passion is, and I think that's what's important. Right on. It doesn't matter who you are or what you know, what career you're in or, or what you, what addiction that you have. I have a hunting addiction, so I, I admit it. But <laughs> but it's it's the things that we do that we, that bring satisfaction and joy and it allows us to feel accomplished and the things that we can do. And every one of us can look in the mirror and there's those things that that are our triggers that allows us to do what we do. You know, my trigger is different than Chet's and my trigger is different than Dan's, but. And I can tell you, Dan's trigger is, is hauling water and making a difference, and my trigger is probably 0.002% of that trigger. I go do it, and I feel good about myself, then I forget about it, then I go on all my other stuff, and here Dan does it day in and day out. And I think that's the piece that we all got to realize, that we all have talents, we all have passions, and, and if there's a means to support that directly impacts our passion, and that's where I had to come to the realization is I love hunting, 
And I love going to these drinkers, and they're full of water, and I get all the benefits. But all I did was maybe send a, a few dollars here or help raise some money. But I, I really didn't do much about it while these other individuals, you know, blood, sweat, tears, and, you know, frustrations and everything else in order, in order to accomplish that. And I think that's the piece that we fully don't understand and we take for granted day in and day out. But you love taking people out and showing, showing them the lifestyle and the outdoors and the opportunities that are available out there. Yep. And that's not my bag. That's yep. not my thing. Yep. I mean, it would be a boring, miserable world if we were all the same guy bouncing the same basketball in the same driveway at the same time every single day. It's true. We need guys that want to take kids and wounded warriors and, and all this stuff because it's that's not my thing. Exactly. We all my have thing is not taking kids out and showing them how to shoot a bow. Yep. I suck at that. I am not good at that. Can I toil a good long day and deliver lots of water to, to remote locations and, and get things up and running and make, make things work that haven't worked in years? Yeah, yep. I can do that. But this stuff over here, no. That's, that's not for me. That's for Mike. Yep, so. exactly true. And I think, too, that's where... I can speak for CHA, and, and I know I've talked to Terry a bunch with Arizona Mule Organization, is, you know, even though that's not our primary, we see the value, and we're trying to do what we can do to help, you know, supplement that side of it. And that was one of the reasons why CHA and MDO went in partnership with that trailer was to at least get a trailer up there so we can use it and to make those impacts. And and I know it, it's Chet brought up earlier, you know, there was a banquet, and then luckily CHA has the opportunity to have access to some local dairies and, we're able to raise some money, you know, that was basically allows people to go shoot doves, you know, so they're getting the benefits to go shoot a bunch of doves and they gave some money. And that money is really being earmarked to help, you know, all water, you know, at 550 a gallon of diesel, you know, but it's, mm. but it's all relative. So it is, it is. And the dairy gets rid of some of their grain eating parasites and, yep. and <laughs> folks get to go shoot these delicious morsels and, and I get to go haul more water. Exactly. I it's love a, it. It's a win-win I love for it. That's the way it's supposed to be. Circle of life for us, right? You got it. Dan, can you leave us with any parting words or um, how people can get in touch with you if they want to do donate or if they want to volunteer? Um, well, first of all, thank you, gentlemen, for making time to have me on your on your show today it, oh, we're uh, blessed to have you and we're thankful it's been something we've been trying to work out for a long time and there's been yep. a lot of yep. misfires along the way and, it, and it's finally worked out um i'm on facebook dan bradford i have wildlife waterworks facebook group i occasionally share things to different hunting groups that that like stuff we were doing yesterday day before uh and my website is still under construction, wildlifewaterworks.org. And I'm still working on getting PayPal and all that sort of thing set up. So there, there really isn't an easy, I, I don't have one of those, you know, click here to donate MasterCard, whatever, uh, Zelle, uh, PayPal, all that stuff. I'm, that is, that's being worked on. Great. Uh, but that's, that's where the technology's going, right? If you got money burning a hole in your pocket, <laughs> I have an account that I would love to love to uh, turn that into some diesel fuel to turn that into water. Awesome. Well, that sounds good. Mikey, please close us out. All right. Uh, man, we just want to thank everybody for listening today. It's definitely eye-opening. Um, 
and just every time we get on this podcast, I learn something new and just there's different passions and I really think that's what makes us all unique, you know, and, and what we love. So, Lord God in heaven, we just, uh, we're just so thankful for this day, Lord, that we can uh, have this opportunity to come and uh, talk about how can we impact um, the creation that you created, Lord, that you gave us to be the stewards over. And specifically, Lord, uh, Mr. Dan Bradford, Lord, who you, who you created and gave him this passion and this vision, this understanding that his love is, is your wildlife, that your creation um, that you basically created, Lord. Then to talk, think about that side of it, that you allowed water, you know, rain and, and the essential of water. And I think something else that we all take for granted is we just walk into our houses, turn the faucet on, and we have cold water, or whatever we need. We you know water our grasses, our lawns, and we take that for granted. We walk in, and that's just an entitlement, you know, per se. But here we have wildlife, Lord, in, in our arid state that truly needs water, Lord. And I just ask right now, Lord, that you would just uh, bless Dan, Lord, bless his operation, bless the vision that he's got, Lord. And I just ask, Lord, that um, those personal needs, the financial needs, and um, the safety needs, Lord, as he's out there trucking and, and being exposed to so much things, Lord, that you would just bless him bless and bless his family, uh, bless the operation. And, Lord, we just know that through you all things are possible, Lord, and we just uh, thank you, Lord, that we can be a small little segment in giving back to making a difference in your creation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.